is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are the sheep, the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hands. Oh, Heavenly Father, we praise You this morning because we know that You are God. You created us. Lord, You created this beautiful world in which we live. You've given us this day. It is a work of Your hands. Lord, we praise You because You have given us our lives, our bodies, our our families, those who love us, those whom we love. Lord, it is all a gift from You. We are Your sheep, and it's You who feed us every day. It's You who care for us. Lord, You knit us together in our inmost being when we were in our mother's womb. Lord, Your hand uh, fashioned us, and every uh, intricacy in our lives was made by You. And Lord Jesus, we thank You that You not only created us, but that through faith in You, You have recreated us. We thank You that we are not only born into this beautiful world that You created, but through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God, we have been born again into the new kingdom of God. And so we praise You because You're not only the shepherd who made us, but You're the good shepherd who laid down His life for the sheep. That through You, Jesus, we have been ushered in to a new world that is emerging within the old, that this old age is passing away, but there is a new age that is coming in Christ when He will come again. And that that new age has already begun to be birthed within us, though secretly, though invisibly, yet we feel it. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And so, Lord, we thank You that Your hand is at work, that You are the King, that Your kingdom is coming, that the songs we just sang are not merely uh, songs to make us feel good or help us get through the day, but they are declarations of the coming reality of the kingdom of God. And so, Lord, we love You and we praise You because we're Your people. God, we thank You for this time of year. We thank You for this Christmas season. Lord, we pray that at this time of year in our nation, that people's hearts would be open to You. God, we pray Your hand of blessing upon churches everywhere that are proclaiming the name of Jesus, that they would give them success. Lord, we pray for the churches around here on the South Shore, that You would bless them. Lord, bless North River Community Church as they gather for worship this morning. And put your hand upon New Hope Chapel in Rockland and First Baptist in Weymouth and Calvary Chapel, Lord. And Lord, I pray for your blessing upon the Roman Catholic churches around here, that, that the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon them, that the Word of God would be boldly preached from their pulpits by faithful priests. Lord, we know that it is when the Word of God is preached that you bring life, whether it's to a Catholic church or a Baptist church, it doesn't matter. It's your Word that brings the life. And so, Lord, we pray for that blessing. God, we pray that, that uh, you would be with our families this Christmas. Lord, be with those who are traveling. Give them safety. Lord, many of us are going to be at very difficult family gatherings the next two days. Give us grace to be shining with the light of Jesus among difficult family members. May some of them come to know you, we pray. God, we pray for those who have been invited, those who are coming back this evening for the Christmas Eve services. May Your Spirit just move with power this evening. May people come to see Jesus. I pray for those whose arms are folded, whose brows are furrowed, who are resistant and doubtful and skeptical, that Your Spirit would bring their arms down, that You would open up their hearts, and that they might begin to seek You, that this would be the beginning today of something new in their lives. Lord, we do pray for Jalmer Nelson, our dear brother, pillar of this church who just went through a triple bypass this week. God, heal him, strengthen him, bring him to full recovery. 
And now, Lord, as we uh, come to your word, I just pray that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth will be pleasing in your sight. Would you use your word now to encourage your people? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, we invite any kids here, kindergarten to second grade, to be dismissed to uh, Children's Church. And would you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. And we are studying verses 20 to 37. Luke chapter 17, verses 20 to 37. If you're using a pew Bible, that's on page 1037. Luke chapter 17, verses 20 to 37. And let me just read this passage, and then we'll dig into it. If you're here with us for the first time, we'd like to welcome you. Glad you're here worshiping with us at South Shore Baptist. Uh, in the pew rack in front of you, there's like a little envelope that's like an inv- uh, information packet if you want to take that home as a gift from us. Just tells you a little bit more about the church. All right, Luke 17, verse 20. It says, once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Men will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in bed. In one bed, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Well, I've entitled uh, this sermon, Christmas the Sequel. Because this text is about the time when Jesus Christ will come again. Uh, We're celebrating today, this is Christmas, and we celebrate the coming of Jesus into this world. 
But there's a time that we look forward to as Christians when Christ is coming back. And that's Christmas, the sequel. Uh, and it's going to be a good sequel. You know, so often when you go to a movie, sequels, they really stink. Uh, I don't know why that is. You know, Hollywood makes a movie. It's decent or good. And so they say, well, we made some money. I know, let's make a sequel. And the sequels, I mean, they're just terrible so often. You know, I saw Pirates of the Caribbean. You probably did too. Fun movie. I laughed, you know. I laughed, I cried. It was a really good movie. I mean, it didn't really have anything of substance in it, but it was entertaining. Uh, and then they made Pirates of the Caribbean 2. And I mean, this movie was just bad. I mean, I don't know what to say. It was just a poorly done movie. And, and I was thinking about all these movies that have sequels that were terrible. You know, like The Matrix. Groundbreaking movie. Genre-creating movie. Matrix 2 never should have happened. I mean, that was just a bad thing. Uh, Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. One of the greatest action movies of all time. And then they make the next movie, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. You know, Congress should pass a law banning Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. It's so bad. Uh, no, they didn't do this with the old movies. I don't know why. You know, there's no To Kill a Mockingbird 2. There's no, like, Citizen Kane 3, The Revenge of Rosebud, or anything like that. It's just, just it stands as a work of art. Now, every once in a while, of course, they do make a, a sequel, where the sequel actually surpasses the original. It doesn't happen often, but it happens sometimes. I was thinking of a movie, for instance, uh, where the sequels just kept getting better and better. The Lord of the Rings. I mean, you know, you, you see The Fellowship of the Ring, great movie. You're like, it can't get any better than this. And then they come out with The Two Towers. It's even grander, more magnificent in scope and character development in, in special effects. And you're like, it can't get any better. And then The Return of the King, which we would all agree is the best movie ever, ever made. Well, that's how the second coming of Jesus is. It's Christmas the sequel is going to blow away Christmas the original. There's no comparison. And so today we're going to study about Christmas the sequel, subtitled The Return of the King. Because really, Christmas and Advent is not only about looking back, which we're going to do tonight, and we're going to sing carols about O Holy Night and Little Town of Bethlehem, and that's great. But we also need to look ahead to when Christ returns. And so Advent should be pointing us forward as well to the second Advent. And so what I want to do in this text, uh, just real simple, I want to point out three characteristics about Christmas, the sequel, three things that will mark the second coming of Jesus and contrast it to the first Christmas and see how it's going to be different. Uh, and so here's three things. The first thing I want to, uh, that I see in this text about Christmas, the sequel, when Jesus returns someday, is that it will be universally witnessed. It will be globally seen. Everybody will see this. You won't have anyone saying, oh, by the way, did you hear on the news the other night Jesus came back? No. It's like no one's going to have to tell anybody that this happened. Uh, again, look at verse 24. For the Son of Man in His day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. You know how lightning is. It, it flashes here and you can be miles away and you can see it over there. My in-laws live down in Plymouth. And sometimes a storm will roll through this area, but it won't hit Plymouth. And, but they'll say, oh, we saw you guys had a storm up there. Quite a lightning storm up there, you know. 
You know, how far away is Plymouth from here? It's whatever, 15, 10 miles, 12, 20 miles, who knows. And, and they can see it all the way here. That's how lightning is. You know, I don't have to call up my neighbor and say, did you know there's lightning outside? I mean, of course they know there's lightning outside. It, it's so visible, it flashes all over. And so Jesus says, when I come back, everyone's going to know. Now, contrast that with Jesus' first coming. It's like nobody knew. It was kind of weird, really. Okay, Mary knew, of course. Uh, Joseph knew because the angel told him. On Christmas Eve, there were some shepherds uh, who knew because the angels came and told them. And, and then there were some wise men. They're actually astrologers. They found out because they were watching the heavens and somehow God used some weird astronomical phenomenon. probably an angel or something to guide them. You know, but even when they, uh, the wise men or the astrologers came to King Herod, they said, well, we're here to see the baby. And King Herod, who ought to know what some of this big, said, what baby? And they said, the new king that's born. And he says, what new king that's born? So even King Herod didn't know about this. Nobody seemed to know about Jesus. It was like a stealth op, right? It, it was a, like a clandestine military operation. Jesus was inserted under the radar, under the cover of darkness into this world. And nobody seemed to know about it. And even during Jesus' ministry, people were confused. It's like, who are you? Like, are you the Messiah or not? We're really kind of confused as to who you are. Um, and even today, there are people on planet Earth today, right now, who have never heard the name Jesus. Isn't that amazing? To think that he is the Savior, he came as the King, and all these songs were singing about him reigning, he came into this world, he died for our sins, he did these miracles, and there's people today who don't know who he is. And so we're going out telling the message. That's why we send out missionaries and we plant churches and why you hand out Christmas invites is because we're trying to tell the world, did you know that Jesus came? His coming was so secret and so quiet that even 2,000 years later, even with the, the miraculous explosion of the church into the world, which continues to grow exponentially today, there's still people who've never heard Jesus' name. In fact, missiologists, uh, those who study world missions, tell us that there are literally billions of people who have no access to the news of Jesus in their own culture and their own language, which is amazing. Um, but not so on Christmas the sequel. Everybody will know. Presidents, prime ministers, kings, dictators will all know in an instant like lightning. Whether you are an urban dweller with millions of people around you in a, a huge city, or whether you are a tribesman in a very primitive, remote, sort of unspoiled area, you will all know when Jesus comes back. Whether you're uh, down in the South Pole as a researcher in Antarctica, or up on the North Pole as an Inuit living up there uh, in, in the native way, we're going to know about the coming of Jesus. Because it will be like lightning that flashes from one end of the sky to the other. And so that means that we shouldn't fall for imitations. If anyone comes and tells us that Jesus has come back or that God's kingdom is fully here, I mean, you just know out of hand that it's not true. Because it's like, if I didn't see it, I know it's not here. It's going to flash like lightning. And that's important because I think it can be easy for us as Christians to be discouraged. We're waiting. We're waiting for Christ to come back. This is our hope. And so it's easy to, to start thinking, where is it? And to start buying into other ideas and settling for substitutes. That's why Jesus warns his disciples in verse 22. Look, he says, The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. So Jesus warns them, that, look, 
before the day of the Son of Man, in other words, before the judgment day when I come in my glory, you're going to look for it and you're not going to see it. There's going to be a delay between now and then. He told them that ahead of time. Verse 23, So men will tell you, there he is or here he is, but do not go running off after them. The kingdom didn't come. It's interesting, in the time of Christ, uh, during Jesus' days, there were uh, what historians sometimes call messianic movements. There were other people who claimed to be the Messiah. They'd say, I'm the Messiah, and they'd get a bunch of people around them, and they'd lead an attack against Rome, and, and the Rome would kill them all. And then, oh, I guess that wasn't the Messiah. And so there was this thing. that So there were messiahs in Jesus' day. There were false messiahs. There, uh, there were reports of his coming today. Uh, according to the Jehovah's Witnesses, Jesus came in 1914. I don't know if you knew that. He came secretly, supposedly, and he set up a spiritual secret kingdom. Which, you know, is possible, except for the fact that he said, next time I come, it's not going to be secret, invisible, quiet, under the radar. Everyone's going to see it. It's going to be like lightning. And so that's the first thing about the coming of Christ, the sequel. It's going to be universally visible. But the second thing I notice in this text is not only will it be universally visible, it will be an event that brings the course of human history to a dramatic conclusion. When Christ comes again, the world that we know and life and culture and business as we know it will come to a screeching terminus. There will be an apocalyptic, cataclysmic end to the world that we know. Now, if you were here last Sunday, you know that we studied the Pharisees and that they were looking for some kind of a cataclysmic end to this world. Uh, and it's not that they were completely wrong. It's just that their timing was kind of off. They expected it to come then. And what we find out in Jesus, the big surprise is, no, no, God's kingdom's going to start small, like a mustard seed. It's going to grow gradually and slowly and invisibly. But when Christ returns, it will reach fulfillment. And then is when the Big Bang uh, will happen. And, and so... Um, there, there will be a, a, a cataclysmic end to this world. Now, contrast that again with Christmas, the original. When Jesus came the first time, it was like nothing happened. He came into the world and life went on as usual. Kings kept ruling. The priests kept doing their jobs. The shepherds visited Jesus. Then they went out and kept doing their shepherding. Mary and Joseph went back to Nazareth Joseph picked up his carpentry business all over again. It's like the world didn't skip a beat. Jesus had come into the world. The kingdom of God had entered in the person of Jesus. And yet business went on as usual. And and so businesses continue to go on. The world continues today. You know, if you become a Christian today, everything will change in a sense, but also nothing will change. If you put your faith in Jesus and you say, you know what, I'm going to follow Christ, I trust in Him, and you receive Him into your life as a, and you become a real Christian, you know, internally everything's changed. Your sins are forgiven, you have a new outlook on life. But you know, externally the world goes on. You'll get up the next morning, you'll look in the mirror, and it'll still be you. You'll look the same. You'll have the same health issues, you'll have the same job, you'll have the same house, you'll drive the same car. Life goes on as usual. And so that's how it was with the first Christmas. Jesus came into this world, but the world just goes on. But not so at Christmas the sequel. At Christmas the sequel, this world will hit a dead end and God's kingdom will come. And so just as how Jesus describes it, he tells a couple stories from the Old Testament to give us a sense of how dramatic his second coming will be and the, the impact it will have on the world as we know it. Look at verse 26. Verse 26. 
He says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, and then the flood came and destroyed them all. Uh, you know the story of Noah, right? Noah builds the ark, God sends the flood. Um, so here's Noah, you know, crazy Noah. <laughs> He's crazy. He's building an ark in the middle of the desert. And, you know, people are like, how's the ark coming, Noah? <laughs> hey, Noah, look, a cloud. Ah! <laughs> you know, Noah's ark's like a tourist attraction, you know. People drive up in their chariots. Look, kids, there's crazy Noah with his ark, you know. And it's this whole thing. And he keeps building his ark. Hey, Noah, just, could you stop it with the ark? Just come down here and, and live a normal life, Noah. Do your business. Do your job. Come on. Just get off that and have a regular life with us. Come on, eat and drink and marry and be given in marriage and sell and trade and be normal. What, what do you have to do with that? And so, you know, in, in a way, that's how we are as Christians. We're following Christ. You know, we're up early on Sunday mornings and the world's like, what are you doing? Like, sleep in, dude. Party Saturday, sleep it off Sunday. Everyone knows that's what you do. I mean, come on. And the world doesn't understand this. Like, why are, you, why are you giving money to that? Why are you serving in that? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. And so we're like crazy old Noah. We're building our little ark. And the world looks at us like, what are you doing? And so the world went on and the world went on until one day Noah goes in the ark and the door goes, mm. huh, what's that? <laughs> the rain starts to fall. And then it rained like it has never rained before and it rained like it will never rain again until the world was ended. And all of that Typical business, life, marriage, family, everything, it just came to an end. And the world that they knew was finished. So it'll be when Christ returns. Or he gives us one other example. Look at verse 28. He gives us the example of Lot. He says it was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So here you have Lot, uh, who you maybe, maybe remember, he was Abraham's nephew. And Lot, you know, remember Abraham and Lot, their flocks were getting really big because God was blessing them and they couldn't stay together because they just had too many flocks. And so Abraham said, look, Lot, just decide where you want to go and I'll go the other direction. And Lot said, I want to go to Sodom and Gomorrah. Good land, wealthy place, that's where I'm going. He went down there. And Abraham uh, went elsewhere. And he, Lot gets to Sodom and, you know, finds out that Sodom, man, it's the original sex, drugs, rock and roll city. And Sodom is a wild place. The philosophy in Sodom is anything goes. What happens in Sodom and Gomorrah stays in Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, no rules, no, no um, you know, oppressive, narrow-minded puritanism in Sodom. You know, it's sophisticated, it's nuanced. There's all kinds of modes of expression and lifestyle. You can do whatever you want in Sodom and no one's going to judge you for it. That's the way it is. And here's square old Lot. This holy roller, this guy who's out of step with the culture. And everyone's like, why are you so uptight? Why are you so judgmental, Lot? Why do you have these 
narrow puritanical views about morality, Lot. And then one night, Lot gets a visit from the angels. And so Lot goes and wakes up his sons-in-laws and his friends. He says, guys, we've got to leave. God's about to destroy Sodom. And they're like, what? Oh, come on, Lot. Look, watch the game with us, okay? Have a beer. Chill out, dude. I mean, he's going to destroy the city? Man, you know, what, are you going to go around with a big sandwich board? The end is near. I mean, come on. Just relax. Enjoy normal life. And Lot's like, no, now is the time. And so morning comes and Lot runs from the city with his daughters and his wife. And as the sun creeps up over the horizon, it begins to rain. But not water this time. Now it rains fire and burning sulfur. And Sodom is destroyed in a day. And so life in Sodom that everybody thought was just the way it is came to a conclusion and the city and its people were incinerated under the judgment of God. That's what it's like. Look at verse 30. Jesus says, It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Just like this, Jesus said. Like Sodom, like Noah. That's how it will be. And so that means, people, we can't be too attached to this world. We have to hold this world lightly. We're in the world, because, you know, where else we're going to be? We're in the world. But we can't be of the world. We can't, we can't let this world be too much our home. We have to, you know, be ready at a moment's notice. We have to live simple and light, and we have to be nimble and ready at a moment's notice to go when it's time to go. We can't let our lives be consumed with this world. Look what Jesus says in verse 31. He says, On that day, no one who's on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. You have to be ready to go and, and just flee when the time comes to flee. Remember Lot's wife, verse 32. You remember that? Lot's wife, she was with Lot when they left the city, if, if you remember the story. And she's running and Lot and his two daughters are running. But even though she was physically outside of the city, where was her heart? It was in Sodom. She loved it. She loved the sophistication. She loved the freedom. She loved the materialism. And so she just, one last look, you know, and she looks back and became a a pillar of salt, whatever that was. (laughs) Terrifying is what it was. Verse 33, whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. In other words, if, if my fingers are so tightly wrapped around this world, and, and you ask me what my life is about, it's like my life's about my job. My life is about my entertainment or my sports or drugs and alcohol or sex or TV or my boat or my clothes or whatever it is. If, if that's what my life is about, if I have tattooed across my soul the things of this world, then you know when Christ comes, I'm not going to be able to go because I'm going to be holding on to everything. I'm going to have you know wrap myself around this world and I'll be swept away with it. So I have to be willing to let go, and I have to hold this world loosely, even as I have to be in this world. I mean, we've got to have a job. You have to have money to live. You know, it's we're in the world. We we buy Christmas presents for our kids, but somehow as Christians, there's this discipline of I don't know, you know it's very difficult how to live with it but not live in it and not be of it. So this is a constant challenge for us as Christians to always be letting go 
ready to give, ready to serve. I was uh, thinking about this sermon, and I was writing it, and this, this thing kept coming to my mind. I was thinking about some of our new missionaries that we have, uh, the Columbines. I don't know if you've met the Columbines. They're new missionaries to our church. We've just begun supporting them. And I, I love them because they're so regular. They're just regular, normal people. You know, this guy's not a seminary grad. He's not a preacher. He's just, you know what he is? He's a mechanic. He lives in Weymouth. And it's just, you know, and one day he went on a short-term mission trip, you know, for a couple of weeks or whatever, and came back and was like, you know, I think God's talking to me. I think God wants us to serve Him, and his wife was feeling it too. And so they began exploring and investigating it. And right now they're raising funds and getting training. They're preparing to go to Senegal in West Africa, and uh, they're just going to live among the Muslims there, love them, be among them, share the love of Jesus. Show them that Jesus was not just another prophet, but show them that he is God's love among us. And just love those people. Be a mechanic among the Muslim mechanics. She's just going to love the ladies there. And You know, I'm like, huh. So if God told me to go to Senegal and love the Muslims, would I be ready to do that? Would I be ready to let go, drop it, and go? Let alone if Christ came again and said, let it all go. You know, would I really be willing to let go of good school systems for my kids, good health care for my family, high-speed internet, that's an issue. Um, you know, Blockbuster Online, that's really convenient. I don't know if Blockbuster Online works there. Uh, you know, my car. I mean, would I let all this stuff go if I felt God telling me to go right now? And I thought that was, for me, that was kind of a good gut check to see where my priorities are at. Because if I would say, oh, no, I would never do that, well, am I sure then? But when Jesus comes back, I'll let it all go. Well, really, how much do I love this world? How much am I invested here? Is this my happiness in my home? Or is my security and my, my inheritance with Jesus? And well, It's pretty challenging to think that way. Maybe Jesus is calling you to do something. Maybe you've had something in your heart or mind that God has been calling you to do for some time now, and you've been pushing it off because you're like, I don't want to do that and it just stays there nagging at you. Man, just whatever that thing is that you feel God calling you to do, whether it's reaching out to someone near you or something as crazy as going to Senegal or some other place, just drop it and go. Go follow whatever God is calling you to do and trust that He's going to provide. Trust that whatever it is in this world you're dropping or selling or giving up for the kingdom of God that God will provide for you in other ways that will far surpass what it is that you're giving up. Or maybe the thing that God is calling you to do, maybe the, the voice you've been hearing in your head, so to speak, is for you to come follow Christ. And you've never done that. And you're like, I'm giving up a lot. You know, you're not giving up anything. It's all burned already. It's as good as incinerated. You know, come to Christ. Follow Him. The way to become a Christian is you have to drop your life and run screaming like a crazy person out of this world into the arms of Jesus. <laughs> you have to be a little radical. You have to say, Christ, You're what I want. And even if people think I've lost it, I'm going for Christ. Because this world is it's done. It's as, you know, the timer went off. Ding! <laughs> Take it out of the oven. It's as good as done. Which leads to the third characteristic of the second coming of Christmas, the sequel. The first was, it's universally visible. 
and therefore don't be fooled by imitations. The second is that when Christ comes again, it will bring a dramatic conclusion to this world. Therefore, let's not hang on to this world. Let's be in it, but not of it. And then thirdly, the third thing I notice about the coming of Christ is that it is a day of judgment. In contrast to the first Christmas, which was a day of forgiveness. But the second coming is a day of judgment. Look at verse um, 34. Jesus says, I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Now, what's that talking about? Let me tell you what it's not talking about. That's not talking about the secret rapture of the church. That's not like the Left Behind series. And, and I don't want to get into a big debate about the rapture. Is there a rapture? Isn't there a rapture? Whether you believe in it or not, and even if there is one, the point is that's not what this text is talking about. It can't be. Because he talked about it being visible and he talked about this world coming to an end. And it, so, so whatever, you know, this is talking about the coming of Jesus in judgment. That's what this text is about. <clears throat> And he says, one will be taken, one will be left. In other words, one will be saved, one will be left for judgment. I think that's what the context is. Like Noah was taken, like Lot was taken out of the city, and the others were left. That's, the, the, that's how you have to interpret it in context. Whenever you wonder what something means, you interpret it in the context of the passage. That's key rule of biblical interpretation. And so here, the, in other words, the point is, when Jesus comes again, there's going to be judgment. That's the point. It's going to be judgment. Again, contrast it to his first coming. It was a day of forgiveness. Jesus was born into this world. The Holy One of God came. But the fire didn't fall. There was no huge judgment day. And Jesus was here. And people went on being evil. And the wicked kept on being wicked. Jesus, during his life and ministry, did his thing. And the Pharisees opposed him. And they harassed him. And they attacked him. But the fire didn't fall from heaven. He just kept taking it and kept preaching the message of the gospel to the people. Um, even when Jesus was on the cross, I mean, if there was ever a time in the history of humanity when God's fire should have fallen on this world and just wiped it out, it would have been at the cross. I mean, what greater injustice has ever been perpetrated on this earth than the cross of Christ? He who is holy and pure, crucified like a criminal by sinners like us, I mean, you know, yeah, there's abuse in this world, but there's no abuse greater than what happened on the cross. Yes, there's oppression in this world, but the oppression on the cross blows it all away. And yet, instead of the judgment of God coming as people were nailing Him to the cross, what did Jesus say? Father, forgive them. So today is the day of forgiveness. And even as Christians, we preach forgiveness. Every time the church takes up the sword or takes up political power, it's always a disaster. Right? The Inquisition's a disaster. The Crusades, a disaster. It's so far from the spirit of Christianity. The spirit of Christianity is the spirit of the cross. It's the spirit of going into the world, telling people that there is forgiveness in the name of Jesus, and around the world, the, the church is being pummeled. Christians are being jailed for their faith. And how do they respond? We're going to fight back. We're going to form a, a militia to defend ourselves. No. They go to jail. They lose their rights. 
They are abused around the world today. There are Christians being martyred for their faith today. And the whole time they keep preaching the message, come to Jesus and experience forgiveness. Because today is the day of forgiveness. But not when he comes again. Then it's over. And it's the day of judgment. And two will be in one bed. One will be taken. The other left. There's going to be two people in a cubicle. One lady in the cubicle is the Christian in the office and she puts up with all the insults and the jokes and people purposely telling dirty jokes around her just to make her uncomfortable. And, you know, she just endures it. And on that day, she will be taken and the other left. There will be two men riding on the tee into Boston. One will be taken and the other left to face the unfiltered wrath of God, a holy, incensed God who has come in His judgment against sinners who have scorned and rejected Jesus. And so, you know, I guess the question is, will you be taken or will you be left? That's a very simple question coming out of that part. Will I be taken or will I be left? Where do I stand with God? Have you come to that place in your life where you have fled from this world and said, Christ, I want you? Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? Or are you still in the world saying, I don't know, this is pretty good and that's pretty good. Flee from Sodom. Get in the ark. And Jesus is the ark and it's made out of the wood of the cross. Enter Christ and be saved. Um, Don't be left behind when the day of judgment comes. Our houses are all ready. We're all prepared. You've got your Christmas tree up. We've done all of our preparations for Christmas. But I think what this text asks us is, have we made any preparations for Christmas the sequel? Which is far more important. Let's pray. You know, if you've never asked Christ into your life and you, have, and you want to do that, would I, can I just invite you just in the silence of this moment, in your own way, in your own heart, to just pray to God. Maybe you've never really prayed before. And just pray, Jesus, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Would you forgive me and save me? I believe in you. Just pray that to God on your own and cry out for salvation. Jesus, thank You that You're coming back. Thank You that You are the King. And Lord, we look forward to that day with hope, but also with dread and awe. And Lord, we pray that You would help us as Christians to be people who live in light of that day. And because of what's coming, help us to be so free to not hang on to this world and to love people with lavish grace, knowing that today is the day of salvation and forgiveness. And so, Lord, help us. Help us to walk in Your ways. Help our lives to proclaim that there is Christmas, the sequel coming. Help us to be loving toward our neighbors, to show the love and reality of Jesus, not just to be preachy, but to live Jesus before them. God, we thank You for this church, and we pray that through this church, Your message, through the members of this church, Your message would go out into the world. And we love You, and we pray this all in the name of Christ. Amen. All right. Now for my Christmas present to you.